Tishvav, a day of mourning, a day of fasting, a day that we try to recall all the things that were lacking. The base of Mikdash, the Crusades, Tachmatat, the Holocaust, the suicide bombs. And this year we could add, unfortunately, so many people who are not with us from the last few months. I don't know if we feel it so much here in Eretz Yisrael, in our little bubble over here. Definitely, when people will start going back to their shuls, there will be many seats missing, not just to skip a seat, but they're no longer there. There are going to be many more people saying Kadeshim, unfortunately. And these are all the reasons that we mourn on Tisha B'Av. In a normal year, we'll call it a normal year, or maybe this is the normal year, we try to recall what we're lacking, and we try to bring yourself to thinking that we need the base of Mikdash, and we try to push out of our brain the vacations and the Bein Azmanim that's looming, and we try to be a little serious and try at some level to realize that we need the base of Mikdash. This year, I think it's the opposite. We know we need the base of Mikdash. We don't have to look very far. So maybe this year we could go a little bit deeper and enter a place that we never were able to get to because it was blocked by that barrier. This year we're so much closer. So this year we could try to focus on the morning, on the fasting, on perhaps connecting a little bit to all those things that we've heard and we always felt like that must be a different world because we can't connect to that. Maybe this year we'll be able to get there a little bit closer. For a few minutes I'd like to focus on this detail of fasting, of mourning, what exactly we're doing. So to start with a story that there was a mother, call her Mrs. R, and she had a little three-year-old boy, quite wild, loud, dangerous three-year-old boy. And they knew in the house, if it was ever quiet for a few minutes, that meant one of two things. The kid ran out to a neighbor, okay, or the kid got himself into trouble. And one day, she's sitting in the kitchen, and she's cooking. And she got a little bit engrossed in her cooking, perhaps, maybe enjoying the quiet a little bit too much. And after whatever amount of time it was, she realized, wait, it's, it's pretty quiet in here. She looked around. Her son's nowhere. She, she opens the door outside, and she sees a bunch of ropes. Her son was playing with some ropes. And as she traces the ropes, she sees her son manage to entangle himself in the ropes. And worse than that, around his neck. And he was completely blue in the face. Immediately, she rushes into a panic. She starts screaming for help. People hear, someone calls Hatzalah. Hatzalah comes. They rush him to the hospital. They're waiting in the hospital. The nurses, the doctors, they rush him into whatever they could do, and she's left in the waiting room trying to muster up whatever tillum she could say, and worse than that, thinking, 
maybe I should have watched a little better. And she just can't get the thought out of her mind. If only I would have checked on him. If only I would have... And then she tries to say to him. And of course she called her husband in between. And her husband shows up shortly thereafter. And the two of them are sitting in the waiting room. Waiting. They don't know for anything. And after what seemed like forever, obviously, a doctor comes out. And the doctor looks at them in the eye. And the doctor says, he's going to live. They breathe a sigh of relief. Then the doctor continues. The next 24 hours are crucial. He was without oxygen for a very long time. Only within the next 24 hours will we know if there will be brain damage. And Mrs. and Mr. R try to ask the doctor questions. What's going on? How long was it? And the doctor doesn't know much, walks away and leaves them to their Tehillims. And the next 24 hours, they sat saying Tehillim for their son. And unfortunately, 24 hours later, the doctor had no update. And then another day, and the days rolled into a week, and still the doctor keeps on telling them the baby's alive, the baby, the boy is alive, but not much more. We don't have any other details. He's not responding. He's basically in a coma. We're trying to do what we can do. And the days rolled into weeks, which rolled into months. And eventually, Mr. and Mrs. R got into some sort of routine that at night they went home to sleep for a few hours. And during the day, they took shifts, spending the time in the waiting room in the hospital, waiting for something. And one morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. And Mr. R picks up the phone. And it's his cousin, Rav David, on the phone at 6 in the morning. And Rav David is someone who is very close with the Chazanish. And David, what's going on? Six in the morning. And David is visibly or audibly shaken up and says to Mr. R, I had a dream last night, which I don't know what this dream means, but maybe you'll know what the dream means. And he starts to tell Mr. R that the night before, he saw a dream and he was in the heavens and he was sitting in front of the Bezdin Shalmailo and there were three boxes. There was a box that said life, there was a box that said death, and then there was the middle box with pieces of paper and names on them. And the Malachim were sitting there and they picked out a name, and then there was some discussion amongst the different Malachim, and then they would take the name and they would put it in one box. And then they went to the next name and they picked up the name and there was some discussion and they put it into a different box. And this proceeded in the dream. And then he said they picked up a name, David, your son's name. And then there was a discussion. There was a discussion amongst the Malachim. And all of a sudden, I noticed myself standing in the middle of the Machina Yehuda Shuk. And there's a pair of blue scissors on the table. I pick up these blue scissors. I cut up the piece of paper that says your son's name. And then I woke up. And Mr. R says, he says, that's it. I thought you would know what. He says, okay. And he says, and he hangs up the phone. Two minutes later, Mr. Aries doesn't know what to do with himself. Before he even has a chance to tell his wife, the phone rings again. And it's the hospital. And the hospital says, you must come quickly. We can't give you any details over the phone. Click. And he wakes up his wife. And he says, we have to go. Where are we going? The hospital called. There's no details. Let's go. 
and they get into the car and they rush over and of course the entire time they're dreading the worst and they're bracing themselves for unfortunately what they felt was the inevitable that they've sort of come to terms with over the last few weeks and they get to the hospital and they dash up the stairs and they know exactly where the boy's room is and they run into the room and they open the door and the bed is empty now their heart sinks and they know it's over and they go and they find the doctor and the doctor tells them please sit down and again they know that this is what it is and they brace themselves and the doctor says this morning we're doing the rounds and we came to your son's room and we went to check in your son and he opens his eyes and then the doctor continues not only did he open his eyes he sat up in bed he jumped off the bed and he said where is he what happened he jumped off the bed he's perfectly fine and he's busy running around the ward we can't keep him in his bed anymore and Mr. and Mrs. R nearly fainted on the spot, obviously. And they find their son. They do some tests. He's perfectly fine. They get in the car. And they go home. As they're driving home, Mr. R remembers, I never told my wife about the dream. So he turns to his wife and he says, this morning, which was like 12 years ago, I got a call. She's like, I know, from the hospital. No, I got a different call from our cousin. And he told me a dream. And he starts to tell his wife over the dream. And as he finishes the dream, he turns to his wife to say, I don't know what this means. This is so strange and so odd. And his wife is pale, is white and shaking. And he turns to his wife and he says, you understand this dream? And his wife says, I'm a seamstress. I go to the shop to buy material. I always bring my own pair of blue scissors because I like my scissors better. They cut a little finer and I like them to use my scissors when they cut my material. And yesterday, when I went to buy some material, instead of handing the scissors to the man behind the counter, I decided why not put a little bit of an extra guard in sneeze and I put it down on the table. And I thought, Bislus, our son, I'll do something. So those were the scissors that saved their son's life. Now, it sounds like a bit of a crazy story, and it is. And it seems like it's true. But what do we see from this story? And what does this have to do with fasting? What does this have to do with mourning? What does this have to do with Tisha B'Av? We see from this story is that when we do an act to connect to Hashem, it can make the world of a difference. And in truth, that is the depth behind mourning and fasting. Shin Jinping has explained there's two types of communication in this world. There's a more basic type of communication with words that you talk to someone. Friends, simple conversation. Then there's a deeper form of conversation. The conversation and the communication between good friends, between spouses, the conversation and the communication of hints, of gifts, 
of favors. Flowers make no sense. If someone would land from Mars and see a husband picking up a bouquet of flowers for his wife out of Shabbos, what are you doing? Are those edible? No, we're just going to leave them there and they're going to die tomorrow. So what are you doing? Says Rishim Shempinkis, that is a deeper form of communication. That's a way of almost hinting something to a spouse, doing something for the other person. And he continues to explain that when we communicate with Hashem, we always use the second type of communication. There's no talking, because God's not God's everywhere, but we're not talking to. So how do we communicate and connect to Hashem? Via gifts, via hints, flowers. Flowers, that's called mitzvahs. Doing something for the other. We live in a world where we don't necessarily understand these things because we live in a physical world. But in the spiritual realm, what we're doing when we do a mitzvah is we just bought Hashem a bouquet of flowers. To the Martian, it makes no sense. But to Hashem, it makes all the sense in the world. Now let's take this one step deeper. Karbanais make even less sense. You take a big animal, you bring it to the base of Migdash, you kill it, you take the blood, you throw it on the Mizbeach. What are you doing? What you're doing is, you're giving an animal life, blood, and the mindset when you give a carbon is supposed to be you're giving yourself to Hashem. You're supposed to come to the base of Migdash and have the feeling, I am that animal. I am shechting and sacrificing myself and taking my own blood and handing it to Hashem. This is a form of connection that is beyond the physical world. Human beings do not connect with each other by giving limbs. You're not going to cut off your finger and give it to your wife and say, I love you so much. Here's my finger. You'll buy her the flowers. But to Hashem, at some level, you'll cut off your finger and you'll give it to him. That is a carbon. That is what's happening when you sacrifice something. You're taking and you're saying to Hashem, I want to give myself, my very being, my own blood and life to you. And that only is possible with Hashem. And of course, it's difficult for us to understand because we don't live in a world of karbanis. So we're even one more step removed from that. And Rav Pinkus concludes and says, and this is what Tishabov is. What is fasting? What are we doing? We're not eating. So what? We just want to be in pain? Yes, you want to be in pain. You want to give Hashem of yourself. And the way to do that is by putting yourself in pain. Why? Because Hashem is in pain. If in the middle of the night, a child wakes up screaming, so a parent will go to the child, and if it's the 15th time, we'll get a little bit upset, but hopefully not, and he'll figure out what the child needs. Does the child need a drink? Does the child need the bathroom? What does the child need? And sometimes the child needs nothing. The child's just screaming. Is it a bad dream? Is it a stomach ache? Is something bothering the kid? The parent doesn't know. But the parent will sit with the child and just be there with the kid. I can't do anything for you right now. I'm just going to hold your hand and I'm going to be with you in this situation. When Hashem is in pain, what we want to do is be with God in pain. The highest level of service is this carbon, is this sacrifice. And when it comes to a fast day, we're giving of ourselves, our very essence to Hashem. 
which is the, obviously the highest form of connecting to Hashem. And now the story with the scissors makes a lot of sense. There are many mitzvahs, Taira, that we do that at some level make sense, and whether they do or they don't, people see us doing them. So we have ulterior motives in what we're doing. Always. This is we're human beings. This is what we are. But then there are the acts that no one knows about, just you and Hashem. Those are the deepest acts of connection that a person could do to God. That is similar to fasting, to being in pain with the person, to giving your own blood to Hashem. Because you're saying to Hashem, I'm doing something for you that no one else is going to know, and I'm only doing it because I want to connect with you. And perhaps over the next 24 hours, a little bit less, we could try at some level to go into this other world, this spiritual world, this world that generally we don't frequent. Yes, tefillah is supposed to be what we just spoke about tonight. Tefillah is b'makim karbanis. Davening is supposed to be that same level of connection, the same level of talking to God and connecting to Him and saying, I want to sacrifice myself to you. That's why when we stand in tefillah, we're supposed to stand the same way that you bring a carbon. But in honesty, very often, it's, it's difficult to tap into this spiritual world. But perhaps on Tisha B'av, and certainly this year, a year that we actually could understand that we need the base of Mikdash, a year that that first step is taken care of, for good or for naught. And that's like when we started, I said, maybe this is the normal world. Because this is the world that we understand that we're missing. We understand life isn't perfect. There is no base on Mikdash. Life can't be perfect. So when we're in that world, and it's a world of seriousness, and now we understand why we're sitting on the floor, now we understand why we're putting yourself in pain. Now we understand why we're supposed to be mourning, why we're supposed to be trying to shed a tear. Because what are we doing? What we're doing is we're trying to say to Hashem, you don't have a home. You're homeless. I think that also we can understand this year. Many years we don't really understand it. Baruch Hashem, most of us have homes. This year at some level, we're all a little bit homeless. Even you're in yeshiva, we don't have the same being as manim. We don't have the same yeshiva, we don't have the same minyanim, we don't have the same learning, we don't have the same stores, we don't have the same enjoyments. At some level, we're all lacking and we're all somewhat homeless. So we can tap in and understand God has been homeless for so long. We've been homeless, okay, it feels like forever also. It's been a few months. So now we can understand that and we could sit and we could fast and we can mourn and we could try at some level to connect to Hashem and utilize the time to try to find ways that when the fast day is over and hopefully it will end in celebration, end with a Yom Tif. But if it doesn't, hopefully we can utilize it and make this year be the year that's a little bit different in that we could come out of it realizing we could connect to Hashem. We could have a moment that we're in a shock, no one is watching, something which is perfectly permissible according to all shitas. And I'm going to do something extra for Hashem. I'm going to go that one extra step, do something which might not even make sense. It's perfectly mutter. Why aren't you just handing the scissors? No. God, I'm going to go a little bit extra for you. And hopefully we can try to find some ways in our life 
to find these areas of connection. And hopefully we'll be Zaycha to be the people, to be the year that those who mourn properly were taught by Chazal will be those that are merit to be Zaycha, the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. Shkech.